Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and this is the show where we normally would talk about yesterday's slate a bit, then we talk about today's slate a bit. But of course, as, as usual, uh, talking about today's slate means nothing because you not you can't trust coaches, you can't trust injury reports. It doesn't matter what we say at eleven o'clock in the morning because. No matter, I, I, you could think, you could think it can't be possible anything could happen. Everything looks pretty straightforward. And then 6.30 comes around and you just throw everything out the window. So that's why we talk primarily about strategy on this show. I answer your questions in the YouTube chat. I see you guys there. Yaz's Army, Max Coach, Daniel Hutchings, Cards Fan, DJ Cicero, Alan Alexander, Brandon Simpson, Jupocalypse. You guys know what to do now. I got the apple juice. Keeping it cold. Hit that thumbs up button. Hit the thumbs up. The thummy thumbs. Give me the thummy thumbs. We got the Eli producing. Give me, give him the clappy claps if you, if you want for producing the show. But it, it's Mondays. And as always with Mondays, here with James McCool. Mondays with McCool. James McCool, the co-author with me of the theory of daily fantasy sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. And, uh, and James, uh, you just completely forgot daylight savings time. Just screw it. Right. Right. You do. We, you, you were, you were almost an hour late. You would have shown up when the show was over if it, and you're, you're out in Colorado. So like, are, are like some States, like they somewhat do daylight savings time or like, like it, so, it, it was yesterday. How did it screw you up on Monday? So here's the thing, man. Um, not only did we have daylight savings time yesterday, right? But at the same time, we have uh, 26 inches of snow outside. So we got hit with a massive snowstorm and I had daylight savings time. So that means that I didn't do anything yesterday. I lost the entire day. I played video games, watched movies all day. Did not leave the house once. And doing that, like messing with my regular schedule, because we'll usually go and do something through, through the day. Uh, we didn't do anything yesterday. We just watched movies and ate dinner and went to sleep. So uh, I was just. Time I just, was just a flat circle it. to you. There was no time didn't exist. It didn't. No, I mean, I mean, I, I just didn't do. I took care of my regular responsibilities. I did my projections. I projected Kevin Porter for 45 fantasy points and then I went to sleep. So that was my entire day yesterday. Uh, and then I woke up and there's still it's it was still snowing a little bit when I woke up. It's done snowing now, but we're supposed to get more snow tomorrow. So yesterday didn't matter to me at all. And uh, therefore, daylight savings time actually started today because yesterday didn't exist. So that's why it screwed me up. And I, okay. I almost missed the show. Right. And Kevin Porter didn't score that many points only because the Rockets got blown out yesterday. Right. Otherwise, he would have. Right. That is good. He's good. Well, no, he's good in the context that the Rockets are horrible. I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty good point. Like they, they let yeah, But there are because uh, walls, either wall sitting or a depot sitting. Eric no, I, I get out. that. I get that. Like from a DFS point, yes, it matters that wall is out and that like all these guys are out. But like from an actual skill standpoint, I think he's actually like a pretty good point guard. I, and, I, I, do, I don't even watch the games. I don't know. Well, I, I can look at like what he does and like his permanent stuff. Oh, like oh okay. And like, I can look at that and be like, yeah, that, that looks like somebody who's a pretty good point guard. Um, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's the worst at defense and like, maybe he hasn't made a jump shot since Nam. I don't know. But like his stats say that he looks like a pretty good point guard. 
God. Right, well, how about Sadoransky yesterday did well? Or Ed, no, no, Anthony Edwards, apparently. See, if you look Sadoransky at his stat line, you go Edwards. Anthony Edwards is going to be a good player, and then everyone tells me he's horrible. Anthony Edwards, I, I don't know, man. Anthony Edwards looks like he's okay. All I know is that you roster him either either he puts up 45 fantasy points or shoots two for 17. Right, but he's a rookie. He's a rookie. Oh, so that's the excuse now? I don't care if he's a rookie if he's on my DFS lineups. I don't care. He has to perform for me. Well, then don't roster rookies. I don't know what to tell you. Well, if he's underpriced, how do I not? I I can't argue with that. Right. I mean, they're just, you're forced to, especially on FanDuel. Right. Well, no, oh, okay. actually, draft FanDuel had him more expensive than on DraftKings yesterday. DraftKings said for Kevin Porter Jr., it's like, okay, let's. I know he's put up forty plus fantasy points, but let's bump him up to like five thousand. Five K. Yeah, right, there okay. you go. That'll stop people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so silly, dude. Like, and usually you're right. It, it usually is FanDuel that like goes about their business and says, ah, oh, well, Kevin Porter just put up 68 fantasy points, seven games in a row. Let's price him down $100 to $200 below the minimum price. Like, what are you doing? Well, look at Fandle today. Look at Fandle today with Karis LeVert. It's so bad, dude. Like, oh, he played 27 minutes last game. So let's just pump him up to like 4,100. Yeah. So there you go. It's so silly. I, I, I don't understand. Like, I know that the DraftKings algorithm is heavily based on ownership. Um, and like past performance, like you can look at the DraftKings algorithm and especially during football season, you can tell kind of like what their algorithm takes into account. They, they take into account performance they take into account ownership the week before when they take into account if they're starting or not with FanDuel's algorithm. Like you look at it and you're like, I, I don't know what they're doing. I, I have no idea how they're pricing these players. Right. Well, also DraftKings tends to react to news quicker mm-hmm. like we had that that uh the after the slate right after the all-star break where we knew simmons and Embiid were going to be out mm-hmm. and DraftKings said okay howard's 5300 and milton's 5k or so like they priced up toby harris it's gonna be 8100 and then FanDuel just said we're just gonna pretend like it never happened yeah. like just we're just uh who cares we're just gonna price we're gonna price Embiid and everyone the way normally to but the fair. problem comes in the james the problem comes in a lot of times that we see with the Raptors, like we've seen recently, mm-hmm. like Siakam's out, Van Vliet's out, Ananobi's out, that while now players that are priced down, that are getting more minutes and more usage, like the efficiency, the whole team, the team sucks. So it's like we rush to roster like the Rockets last night. Like we go, okay, I'm going to play all the depot and FanDuel, maybe not on DraftKings. You play... Uh, you play Porter, you, you, you maybe Patton or something like that, and, and, and then right, and then then they then they get blown out. Yeah, like Toronto, you did. We did this a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, that Lowry Powell, uh, Bane. You know, Bane's only played twelve minutes because like they the, the the Hornets like hit like fifteen three pointers in one quarter 16. or something. Sixteen. Yeah. So I mean. I know we've talked about in the past about like predicting blowouts, but do you, do you believe that in these situations where, you know, the star, the the actual talented players from a team are out and we're just going to go, Oh, we're going to give all the usage to all the guys that are on the court. Should, should we be at least from like a median perspective, kind of bumping down people's minutes as like the spread gets higher and higher or to uh, to counteract the or to lower the efficiency 
to some extent. Because I know, like, I mean, because what ends up happening, we see, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. I'm just saying that look at yesterday with the Rockets and it's like, well, do you expect that team to win? I mean, no, the team sucks. So it's like, yes, you're right. All these guys are out. Oladipo should have tons of usage. But I mean, if they're only, if they're going to lose like eight minutes of their last rotation or something, like, are, are they really priced down anymore? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, you don't mess with their medians because that you still expect them to have a median outcome of X if they play the full game. Like you, you still expect Kevin Porter. Yeah, but to have shouldn't the median outcome actually be on that distribution curve? Should you uh, account more for like I? It, it's weird to say. Like you don't want to predict blowouts, but don't you have to account for the low? It, we're, you're already accounting for lower offensive efficiency because they're 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 crappier players, right? Yeah. But overall, the compounding offensive inefficiency turns into a 25 point lead for the other team. And then the the guys that like the, like someone like uh, like uh, uh, KJ Martin, right? Yeah. Like he ends up getting more minutes because he's going to play in the blowout. So like if you're projecting him, let's say you're projecting him for twenty and Porter for thirty six, maybe the median should be thirty four and twenty two because it it it's more likely to turn into a situation where. The starters don't see full minutes. I mean, it. I this is a, to me, this is a slippery slope. Doing stuff like this, it absolutely but, is. But yeah. I mean, we see extreme cases. I'm not talking about the cases where everyone's healthy and you just like a team's an 11 point favorite, and it's like okay, it's just it's the Bucks versus the the whoever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I can't play because of the blowout. To, to me, that that's a different story. The rock when the Rockets are against the Jazz, they're they're 18 and a half under point underdogs and like they're they're essentially playing a g league roster to start against the the best record in the nba or for the jazz like how do you it's would it be would it be viable to kind of look and go okay if they were to play a whole game here are the minutes but if they weren't to play a whole game this is how the minutes would work out and then kind of like go in the middle of that well, so what I do, like I said, I want to touch the median because I like I, I think that the median is still the same. Like when you look at what a player's middle outcome should be when you're projecting, what I do is I widen that distribution curve. I make it so that like with players like Lowry or with Powell specifically, I'm not talking about like the Kenyon Martins. I'm not talking about like Terrence Davis or, or somebody like that. I'm not talking about these cheap guys that are filling in for the starters. Like those guys are volatile as is. But like with somebody like Kyle Lowry, you do expect him to have more usage. Uh, yesterday, I, I boosted him like 7% or something like that for his usage because there, there is no OG, there's no Siakam, there's no Van Vliet. So you expect his usage to be higher and you expect that efficiency to be less. But what if, what if that efficiency actually does end up being a game where he is able to carry? We saw it with um, Shai Gilgis Alexander as well, where like, okay, see, has had guys missing this for weeks. Um, and his usage goes up and like, he has now the opportunity and the usage to put up 40 real life points and put up 12 assists, whatever. So I think what it does is it doesn't mess with the median, but instead of a bell curve where it is like relatively skinny, it's now much wider where that distribution can be that their deviations are going to be much wider along from the median because 
you can expect for sure if they get blown out, then yeah, their their standard deviation lower is going to be farther back because they're going to play less minutes. They're going to have less efficiency, blah, blah, blah. But if they have the right efficiency and that usage is higher, or if they have more efficiency, if they're just like super hot from the field, like Norman Powell, like what, a week and a half ago or something like that, shoots 13 for 16 or something like that and just goes nuclear with all the extra added, added usage. And he had just a good efficiency night. So he was able to carry them. Um, that means that his deviation from the median farther forward is going to be better. It's going to be longer. So for me, I just think that it widens that distribution. It doesn't mess much with median and, and I don't like touching medians. Maybe I'll drop them one or two minutes. Maybe if it's like a situation like with the Rockets against the Jazz. Yeah, I'd maybe one, two minutes. But I think what I would rather do is just mess with their distributions a little bit, increase their deviations from the mean, increase their rim, their variation for their minutes and just let it go that way. And then you can make some more informed decisions on the upside and the downside of a player and you can say, yeah, the, the Jazz are in the situation where they should blow out the Rockets. You know, Oladipo, he might not get his fourth quarter. Um, Kevin Porter Jr. might not get his fourth quarter, but Kenyon Martin is probably still going to get it. So what, what if they do end up keeping up with the Jazz? Like we saw OKC beat Memphis with, with like literally a G League team. Uh, so like situations like that, there was a lot of upside in taking those guys. It was a two-game slate, but if that would have been on the main slate, I think that that's a similar situation to what we had with Rockets, where if you would have taken down their medians, then you're not rostering Poku at like 3,200 and he puts up 39 fantasy points, something like that. So I much prefer to mess with the deviations and, and widen that distribution curve rather than messing with medians. Right. But so effectively, like if you, but the, the problem comes in there is that you're still using, if you're using an optimizer or something, like the median's going to look the same, even though. The, the floor the floor and the ceiling are the things that are going to be changed mm-hmm. so really uh that because like here at, at, at Rotogrunge, we have a smash percentage so essentially what that would do if you increase the standard deviation of the players on the team is that you're setting different you, you may have a they're actually made the medium may be the same but the smash percentage may go down mm-hmm like, because, like, if you're, like, for instance, in the guys that require the max minutes. So we're talking about on, on the Raptors. Like, so, like someone like, uh, like, Chris Boucher, so, like, that may play in garbage time, or, uh, or Terrence Davis, those types. Like, I don't, oh, they just have upside. But, like, if you're projecting Lowry for, like, 37 minutes, like, there's really no case that he's going to play 40. Right. So he's already like his median at 37 minutes is like, well, that he has a great median, but his 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 upside is going to be much lower in the case where you increase his standard deviation. Right. Because like minutes, wise, he would just have to be more efficient. Right. He's less likely to get more minutes because I mean, if he gets more minutes, it's because, you know, that they're just forcing him to play 40 minutes or something. So taking how would that reflect like if you're going to change that distribution curve so instead of it being narrow to flatter like obviously the smash percentage is going to be on a lower point mm-hmm. like that the five if you, if you go 5x plus 10 let's say lowry is 8000 and you and you your arbitrary baseline for smashing is 5x plus 10 
So that would be 50 points. Yeah. Right. 8,000, 8,000, eight times five is 40 plus 10 is 50. So the, finding that 50 on that distribution curve when it's like narrow like this gets you X percentage of the time. So maybe, maybe it ends up being 26% of the time. Yeah. But if you increase the standard de- deviation, the smash percentage may end up being 18% of the time mm-hmm. only because it's taken into account all the times that, you know, it's a much good. Cause to me, it's not like you're widening. It's not an equal amount of widening. I think it's, you're bunching. Like, I, I mean, right. obviously we're talking, it's easy to talk in normal distributions because it's, it's, it's going to be equidistant, but yeah. none of these, no, no player has a normal distribution. We do it out of ease of mathematics not because it actually exists. No player has a normal distribution, but they don't have any, I mean, every player has a different distribution and it may be like like wobbly, it may be a little up yeah. over here or down like that. But for a guy like Lowry in that type of situation, it's that the, you're, you're essentially smoothing out the distribution on the, on the low side, but still kind of capping it to the upside. So like, like, but still from a, from a equidistant perspective, like the amount of outcomes that are in the high end still ex- are, are half the outcomes while the ones in the low end side are still half the outcomes. It's just that the low side has, has 17s and 21s and stuff like that in it. While the high end doesn't have 98s in it. It just right. has a lot more 60s, 65s, 62s. Like it doesn't, it doesn't get out to 70 while on the low end, you may see some 15s. So that's essentially, so it's not technically an even normal distribution. It's that like, you're just kind of like extending the low end. So the lower is kind of like more of a, more of a, like a, not a hockey curve, but I don't know. I don't know what, I don't, you're the math person. I don't know what, 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 what these curves are called because they don't have names. So here's what we're talking about. Have no names. No, no. But what, what you're going to look like is instead of it being like a regular bell curve, say this is, this is the low end. This is the high end, right? Like instead of it looking like a regular bell curve, what's going to happen is you're going to shorten this a little bit and you're going to raise this a little bit. So there are more outcomes here where there are lower. And then like, there's still, there's still a lot of upside here, but you're going to hit a wall eventually because there can only be so much efficiency. Um, and if, you know, if you look at this, I, I think that, and we talk about in the theory of DFS, your intuitive model, where right now we're talking about an analytical model. We're talking about like me on the back end with my code and then my sheets and everything like that. But if you look at it for, through an intuitive model, then that's what you are thinking about of like, okay, well, it's highly unlikely that he's going to get more minutes. It is more likely that he gets less minutes than he gets more minutes, right? So, right. but but if he gets max minutes, he's great. I mean, he could put right. up, he could put but, up a smash type of score. But in the situation where you are looking at it through an intuitive model, I think that you can take those things into account a little bit better and say to yourself, and this is something that I think people can do, even though it's kind of silly. Talk out loud to yourself about what you think Lowry can actually do in that situation. Like, yeah, he can play 37 minutes and he can shoot like 10 for 13 from the field and he can have 12 assists if like Norman Powell also shot the lights out, right? There's that side of things. And then there's the other side of things where the Toronto Raptors get blown out. He plays 28 minutes and he he doesn't get the assists because the rest of the team sucked, 
maybe he still shot well, maybe his efficiency was still well from shooting, but like he didn't get the assists, he didn't get the minutes. So that efficiency boost doesn't even matter. So there's kind of two ways to look at it. I I think analytically, it is very hard to approach a situation like that, especially for somebody like me who does not like to take into account a massive spread because I think that it's just bad practice for GPPs um, when when I am building out my projection models. But when you are looking at it outside of that, like yesterday, when I was talking to subs, I, I almost said that Chris Boucher was somebody who you should start your lineups with. I, I ended up saying Kevin Porter, Thomas Sadoransky, and John Collins. And I almost said Chris Boucher because he projected great. I mean, I had him project for almost 41 fantasy points. But I didn't because in my head, I know that he's he's got very, very volatile minutes and rotation, even when there have been times when he should just be the guy like starting and everything like Aaron Baines is out. Pascal Siakam is out and they still found a way to not to start him. So like they still found a way to play Henry Ellenson for crying out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like situations like that, even though he projects very well, I know what the tail end outcomes are for Boucher. I know that he has a lot of upside if he plays full minutes. I also know that he can play 18 minutes for no conceivable reason because nurse just doesn't want to play him that day. So having the understanding and like the context and, and the intuition to know that Chris Boucher yesterday was probably a guy for Toronto and Kyle Lowry for that matter. And Norman Powell, like Norman Powell gets there entirely off shots. Norman Powell can have a bad night. He did last night or two nights ago. So knowing those kinds of things, um, I I think that's important. And that comes with a lot of practice. Uh, I, and it's really hard for me to just like answer a question of like, Oh, well, why didn't you play Chris Boucher yesterday? It's like, cause I just know that he's super volatile and he was going to be like 50% owned and I I'd rather have other value plays that I think make more sense. So I, I think that that's kind of a hard part to get past and something that you just have to learn as you make mistakes along the way. Well, it just comes down to seeing, it comes down to the concept that two, two players could have the same exact median projection, the same exact mean projection and be completely have completely different standard deviations. And like, they're not, they're not the same. Their outcomes are not going to be the same. You could see, you could see two guys with a 40%, a 40 point meeting projection. And one, one guy is more likely to put up 32, 36, 42, 44. And then the guy, the second guy with the 40 point meeting projection could easily put up eight, 16, 12, 64, 60. I mean, take a look at like I I, I view like PJ Washington as someone like that. Mm-hmm. Like PJ Washington's like six thousand or fifty five hundred. Sometimes, sometimes he gets lower than that, and you're like, oh, he's a great value. And he he plays like twenty nine minutes and gets twelve fantasy points. And you're like, how did that happen? And then sometimes he plays. He still only plays like thirty minutes, and he has sixty two fantasy points. 34 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, four blocks. And you're like, uh, it, those are the types of players. I think, I think average DFS players, you, you would hear say, uh, you know, you, you know, the player is volatile when you hear an average DFS player say, uh, he's a guy I never get right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Like, yeah. cause to me that that's, that's the, that's like the layman's terminology of, like the guy, like if I roster him, he sucks. And then if I don't roster him, he, he puts up a flame emoji. Like you don't hear, I never get him right out of like guys that are stable. Right. You you, you really don't, you don't, I, I never get Russell Westbrook right. 
Like, you don't hear that. I never get Damian Lillard right. It's like Luca. I never get him right. It's like, the, yeah, they do have duds, but you don't, you don't typically don't see. You, you, you see the type of thing where it's like Devin Booker. Like, I never get him right. Zach Levine. I never, like, those are the types of guys where they could go new, they could put up 70. And then there are some games where they, they shoot two for 10 and don't do anything else. And you go, how does this guy only have 18 points? Right? So, like, if you're thinking in your head of, of players that you never get right, those are the more volatile ones. And truthfully, for GPP, you should be playing them when it comes to volatility. The high standard deviation players, I mean, if you just went by a general rule, very general, not slate dependent or anything like that, because obviously the slate matters, is that if a player has a high standard deviation, is a volatile, and they're going to be owned heavily, fade them. And if they're going to be low owned, play them. Like those that, I mean, it's very similar. I did uh, Cheese, Dave Potts, has the Robbie Ray rule for, uh, for MLB. Right, I don't. I don't know. It may, I don't know if it'll exist this season, but to, he's a type of pitcher in MLB that fits that bill. I never get him right. Like Robbie Ray could go seven innings, fourteen strikeouts on and on one hit, or he could walk eight guys in the second inning and give up like nine runs, just as easily. Like the outcomes are almost equal equal on both sides, and then. You know, I never get him right, but he's the type of guy. When I see Robbie Ray at seventy eight hundred, I go, he's going to be thirty four percent owned. It's like I'm stacking against him, right? And when he's going to be like eight percent owned because of the context of the slate, it's like I'm going to play a lot of them. And hopefully, you're right on that day. But I think that's 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 a better way of putting it. Of like when when the players' minutes and the team's efficiency is going to be more volatile on that day be more inclined to go away from the the inverse of whatever the ownership is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something that I've gotten burned for a lot in NFL uh, specifically, because when you have a player like Will Fuller, right. Or a player like uh, who's another burner um, like Tyreek Hill or something like that. Well, not Tyreek Hill last year, Tyreek Hill two years ago where you have these guys who are super boomer busts, like they, they pretty much have been guys that are going to have either 200 yards and two touchdowns on four catches. Deshaun Jackson is another one where they're, they're just burners. And when they end up being in a good spot, people will just flock to them and they'll, they'll end up 25, 30% on GPPs. It's like, I don't want exposure to that guy in, in GPPs at that high of ownership because when they fail, they end up with like a catch for 26 yards and that's it. So they're either going to have 200 yards and two touchdowns or a catch and 26 yards uh, and like a fumble or something like that. And, and you don't want exposure to that guy. Like you would rather pass the field and be different in that instance and then eat chalk elsewhere. It's the same thing with, uh, with somebody like, like Levine is a pretty good example. Um, he, he is somebody or no, I actually, I like Norman Powell a little bit better on this one. Norman Powell gets there all almost entirely on points. Like Norman Powell does not do things that are not score points. All he does is shoot. He's a good shooter and, and he's had plenty of 30 point games in the last month, but all he does is shoot. So if he's going to be really, really popular. And I think that he is appropriately priced 
right? Like we're not talking when he's like 5K and everybody is out and he's the only person taking shots. Like he, you just take him because he's going to project 38 fantasy points. But if he's like 7K, 7,500, and he only projects for 36 fantasy points, something like that, that's a pretty good fade situation when he's going to be very, very popular. Just because if he if he has an off night, if he only shoots 32% from the field, he's going to burn a lot of people because he's not robust enough. He, he's not going to get there through different ways. Jimmy Butler is somebody who you can eat that, that chalk a little bit more easily because he gets blocks, he gets steals, he gets rebounds, he gets assists, he gets points, like... The dude just does everything. So I think that that volatility, if somebody is robust, I'm much more likely to be going with the field on that. And you're right. If they're more volatile, if it's one of those guys that you never get right, then just flip, just choose tails when, when the coin flips, like when everybody is on heads, choose tails, when everybody's on tails, just choose heads. And, and like, if that's the way that it's going to go, then you, you can just fade him when they're high owned and, and take him when he's low owned. And the, the other part of that, which I think is very, very important is to not be results oriented when you choose the other side of it. And that's the bigger problem. I think that people have with these super volatile players is that they look at it and they say, Oh, I'm never going to take this guy again because he did terrible when I rostered him at low ownership. And then he's super high owned and like you fade him or no. And, and then, then, then he goes high. off. Then, then, yeah. then he puts yeah. up all the, yeah. so like, you, you can't look at those two instances and be like, oh, I, I, I hate this game, blah, blah, blah. It's like, he's super volatile, dude. Like, you, you said that he's super volatile. He was very high-owned. You faded him. He went off. You shouldn't care that he went off. Like, you made a decision based on something that you think makes sense. This player is volatile. I don't want to have them because they can burn people very easily. So be concise in your decisions be sure of your decisions and make those decisions. And then don't worry about the results. Like you can't do anything after the game's lock. All you can do is just make the best decisions that you can make before lock. And whatever happens after that, like take into account in your models later, but you can't worry about it in the moment. Right. I I always judge my decisions based on the ownership. I just take a look. Had I known this, would I have still done this? And if the answer is yes, then what the hell does it matter? Right. I, 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 those types of situations where the highly volatile guy Highly volatile minutes or whatever ends up being, you know, 45% owned on a nine game slate. Right. And I go like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to play many lineups with him or any, like if I'm playing single entry or something, I'm like, nope, not playing him, build something else. If I look and he ends up being not 45% owned, but 60% owned to me, I go and I go, great. I made the even better decision, right? I, I projected him for 45% ownership. Now he's sick. Now I get even more relative value by not having him. And then if he goes off, then what do I care? It's like, if you would have told me before the slate, he was even more owned than I thought he was. That makes it even more likely that I wasn't going to play him. I, I was going to use him as the primary leverage point in my lineup. And if, they, and if, it, doesn't, if it doesn't work out, then you, then you lose. There's, we have 200 slates in a season. Like, just move on. Just, that's too, then you lose. I mean, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of what, what happens. What happens if he goes off? Let's say you have 10 lines. You don't play him in one. Because what happens if he goes off? Well, then I lose and tomorrow's another slate. I mean, what's the best decision that I think to, to make? I made the decision. At lock, I saw the ownership and said, okay, confirmed. Good decision. And then whatever happens from there, the outcome doesn't matter at that point. Just that, yeah, it matters for like if I'm going to win money or anything or lose money. 
Would I have changed my decision? No. So that, that, that type of mindset is that I, you, I don't find it hard, but I mean, I, I come from poker. When you do when you play poker, you're playing even live, you're playing like 30 hands an hour and you're playing eight to 12 hours a day. And I played for five years or what I mean, you have to do that after every hand, right? Who cares what, like, oh, one outer, who, who cares? So then, they, then I lost. Did I make the right decision? Oh, I shoved and, and the guy drew out. What am I supposed to do? I made the right decision. And then you get another hand. You just, the next hand happens. So you have to constantly be in that mindset of like, like just as long as I make good decisions over the long run, over and over and over again, it's plus EV. And I'm eventually I'm going to, the money's going to be in my, in my chip stack. So just keep on making those good decisions. DFS, maybe it's a little bit harder because you get, you know, only once a day you have a slate. NFL is probably, probably James, NFL is probably the worst. It sucks. Because it's, it's like 17 slates pretty much. Maybe the Thanksgiving one, some playoff ones, maybe get 20 slates. And it's like, oh, I thought I made a good decision. And, and the, the chalk, you know, the chalk volatile guy, you know, burns everyone. Or you play, you play the, oh, I'm going to build around these two running backs and they both dud or someone gets injured. And it's like, great. Now I have a whole week. I can't, I can't, I can't continue my sample size for another week. And you're just sitting there for, for six days going, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, at least in basketball and baseball and stuff, you can play every day. At least it's like, okay, just get on, get on the horse and we're going again tomorrow. Let's go. I said, uh, I said probably like four, maybe five times through the NFL season. Like it is not insane for you to not win a single slate in the NFL season. If you're making like good decisions in GPPs, it is, it's not insane for you to like, not have any profit in GPPs the entire year. That's why cash is super important. I, I don't play cash in, in a lot of sports. Like I don't play cash in NBA. Um, I only play GPPs in NBA, but in NFL, I play cash because I, I know that in an NFL season, I might not hit once in GPPs. And like that, that's just, it is what it is. Like very, very good players probably win like what? I, I think it was like once every 25 slates or something like that. And, and like they are playing usually every single slate offered through an NFL season. So they have a little bit more leeway, but me, I, I just play main slates. So I know that I might not hit. Um, th- there was another thing that I, that I was going to bring up. I, I don't remember what it was, um, but it, it's through the, the train of thinking of like, if you made a good decision. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you made a decision before lock and then the ownership comes out and you look at it, and you said, okay, that was a good decision. And then 15 minutes later, it's the end of the first quarter of the first game. And like somebody went off that uh, you didn't really consider, like you saw them and you're like, oh, that projection's pretty good. And the value is pretty good. And like, uh, you know, but you didn't really consider that. Then you cannot really tilt that decision in the moment. You can take account of it and you can learn from it later, but you can't say to yourself, oh, I should have played uh, Aaron Baines or, or like Robert Williams or something like that. Like Robert Williams gets four blocks in like three minutes and, and gets four rebounds, two offensive rebounds and like two putback dunks. And he, he now has like 28 fantasy points. 
and and people are like, oh man, if I would have just played Robert Williams in this lineup, then I could have done blah 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 blah. It's like you weren't gonna play Robert Williams, right? Who cares? You weren't gonna make that decision. So if you weren't gonna make the decision, if you, if you literally were not thinking about doing that in your lineups, if you did not tinker around with like the way that you build your lineup and actually slot in Robert Williams in that lineup, you don't care, dude. <laughs> you can't care about that because that that's not a decision that you ever would have made. As you continue to learn, maybe like later on you see, okay, well, there were no centers available for the Celtics. Maybe I was a little bit low on what his median projection should have been. Maybe I should have considered him. Stuff like that. That makes sense after the slate, like the next day when you're reviewing. But in the moment, man, don't tilt somebody that you absolutely never would have played. That that doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing. I I the same way that when I won the the slant in NFL, the 50K yeah. $9 slant. Like I I Unless I get tickets or something, I usually don't play the million in NFL because it's, yeah. it's a horribly negatively negative evening contest. Uh, I would have came in second in the million maker with that lineup yeah. for $150,000. And people were saying, oh, doesn't it suck that you didn't put, you didn't put all your lineups in the million maker or whatever? I was like, what, what am, what's there to tilt over? I, I wasn't playing the million maker. Like, right. Like, and it's, but, it, but a lot of, but because since I play all unique lineups, so sometimes I will play like I'll play 10 lineups in the Millie maker and 50 lineups into the slant and like, but they're all unique. And then it's like, well, if that lineup could have been in the Millie maker, right. At least see, at least then they could be something to tilt about. Yeah. Right. Like it'd be like, Oh, this, if this lineup was in the Millie maker, I would have won 150,000 instead of 50,000. But like, I literally did not play the Millie maker that slate. So to me, there's no tilt. There's no like, well, I should have entered it. And then I like, no, I already made the decision that it's a horrible contest Yeah, and I'm not going to play it. And I play the slant primarily. So people, oh, you lost a hundred thousand dollars by not, not, how are you thinking this way? I was never going to make that decision. So it doesn't (laughs) matter to me. I was looking to win $50,000 and I won $50,000. So there's nothing, there's nothing to tilt. Right. Is the decision to play the Millie maker, not playing the Millie maker, typically a good decision. Yes. It's a horrible contest. It's a lottery where all the equity is in the top spot and then everything else is negative EV. You're playing that with a small percentage of your bankroll at most and you're doing it for like YOLO, whatever type of, right? You treat you it do, like a winner I, take I'm not all. against it. Yeah. You, you just treat it like a winner take all with 500,000 people in it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's oh, so if thing. I chose not to play it because it's horrible like that, then what, what, there's nothing for me to tilt. It's right. the same type of thing before. It's like some random guy on today's slate. Some, you know, like if uh, DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, not saying that he's a bad player or anything today at 9,600 on DraftKings. Sabonis puts up 67 points. And like, I don't have him in a line. Like, what am I tilting? It's like, did I, if I decided not, if like I was never going to play Sabonis in, in, in any of these lineups that I made, then then you move on to the next slate. Who cares? Yeah. But now you do to, to me. The only way that you tilt is if that happens, and you saw Sabonis is like thirty six percent owned, and he wasn't even like on your radar. Because then, then you obviously miss something, sure, right? If he's gonna, if if it's, if a guy ends up being owned and does well, and you didn't even get like they weren't even in part of any of your calculations for anything. To me, that's the time that's worth like what did I miss? But if Sabonis is 3% owned and goes off like that, then 
Well, should he have been 3% down? Yes. Were you going to play him at 3% down? No. Okay, so who cares if he puts up 60? Uh, who cares at that point? Yeah. I like, what, what, if you would have known that he was going to be 3% owned at your projection, would you have played him? No. What, so who cares what happened in the game? Right. Right? It only matters is if, if you would have known, would have changed your decision. If you would have known, because maybe you maybe Sabonis ends up being, you project him to be 12% owned. And you're like, at 12% owned, he's not worth playing, right? At his, at his smash percentage. But let's say he ends up coming in at 1.8% owned. And you're like, had I known he was going to be 1.8% owned, I may have considered him a little bit more. Because I think that's a little, I think that's too low owned. for I mean, Not well projected, but still, at 1.8% owned, Simonis could still smash. Like, that doesn't mean that, oh, I'm tilting and throwing stuff going, I can't believe I didn't place a bonus when he put up 70. It's just that, oh, well, obviously, he wasn't 12% owned. He was 2% owned. So th- that variable changes, and now it's like, my decision may have been different now. But if everything is in line with what you expected and you just didn't happen to play, then what's it yeah. tilt over? And, and that's one of the things that I try to take care of in my models is like, Let's see. Let's take try to take an example from yesterday. Um, Norman Powell yesterday. I'm mentioning a lot today. I played a lot of Norman Powell over the last couple of weeks. Um, Norman Powell yesterday had him projected for like 31% ownership. Um, and I had him as a T Val of about 16%. Like I didn't like Norman Powell yesterday. So I had him as a negative 15% Lev X play, meaning that he was 15% overvalued in fields. Um at that ownership, like, yeah, I'm probably going to fade that just because I think he's overvalued. He, he's about it seems like times. you have some personal vendetta against Norrell Powell. Yeah. Like you've mentioned him. You've mentioned him as the poster boy of the guy that <laughs> well, you don't like playing that well, at all. And I've played him a lot over the last week. All right, I, I played him I like played him every cash yesterday, and I'm DK, and I did well. I I, <laughs> I consider that luck because I didn't want to play Mormon Powell in cash at 7,300, no. but I did. And, and I would have played him in cash yesterday too. But I like yesterday, I, and I'm just using him as an example here, I, I think that he was about two times as, as valued as he should have been in large field tournaments. Right. So at that point, like I'm looking at that, I'm like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not touching it. But if he, if he projects for 31% ownership and then he comes in at 5% ownership, I, I probably would have wanted some Norman Powell because then he's three times under owned. Like he, he is under owned relative to what I think that he can actually do. Um, Damian Lillard yesterday, I had him as about a 28% chance to make GPP value at, at that price. And right, he was, was over owned yesterday. Yeah. He was over owned yesterday. And, and I had him projected for 32% ownership. It's like, eh, okay. If I have some, uh, another like low owned ringer, then I'll put him in. But like, I, I'm not going to just default to Damian Lillard. But if he projects for 32% ownership, comes in at five, I wanted some Damian Lillard. Right. Well, also your ownership projections are completely off then. Because, I mean, other things must be off in your ownership as well. Well, well, no. I mean, I'm just saying, like, as an example of, like, these things. Like, if – speaking to the point that if we knew this ahead of time, if I knew that Damian Lillard would be 5% owned instead of 35% owned, I'd want some. But if things go what we think they will, if things go as projected and he's 35% owned, then like he's an okay play. Vucevic is better. Jimmy Butler's better. But like th- those are the kinds of things where th- those known unknowns that I always talk about, where like you, you know, there might be some volatility here. 
you just got to kind of take those things into account and tilt appropriately. I, right, I, like, the, like the other day, I remember uh, 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 the, the Wizards, when Beal was out. Oh, yeah. Beal was ruled out like an hour before lock. And I'm like, like Westbrook is going to be super chalk. Yeah. And he actually wasn't. Like, I mean, he was chalk. I mean, he was like 32% owned. But like I literally, I looked and I said, if I was treating Westbrook as the guy that I'm leveraging off of. And it's like... Yeah. At 32, it's like once I saw the ownership, I'm like, had I, know, had I known he was, I thought he was going to be 45, 50% owned. Oh, I thought when he was I saw him at 32% owned, I'm like, shit, if I, if I knew that, I would have had him in every lineup at that ownership. Yeah. Yeah. And the, those are the hard things. And those are the kinds of things that you can like, it, it's really hard. And you and I have talked quite a bit about like how hard it is to rely on ownership with like later news across the industry, because like a lot of stuff just doesn't get updated. So you have to, use that intuitive knowledge of saying, oh yeah, Westbrook's going to be 60% out. And, and like I said it in, in, in the discord as well, I was like, I don't think that like, like, I think that you can leverage Westbrook here because there's a lot of mid range value that makes a lot of sense. And there's not a lot of cheap guys that make a lot of sense. So like, I'd rather just build through like the higher mid range and fade Russell Westbrook, who's going to be like 55 plus percent owned comes in at 30 percent owned. And it's just like, well, Okay, I I, I, I right we Westbrook. we I think I think we all because I saw it in some other chats as well that like the the sharper players played a lot more you know factor that in but I guess an hour before lock on that specific slate not many I mean in a, a lot of GPPs people didn't react to the news even though it was an hour before that's, lock and that's weird that's right weird. And that's right I mean ten minutes before lock okay that's a different that's a little bit different story. I mean, but we've seen that, like, anything that, if we know LeBron is out, like, the day before, like, that's already going to be, we already know that. Simmons yeah. and Embiid for the Sixers, we knew that. But that, like, Luca Porzingis out, that first slate back, I mean, that was, like, an hour, an hour and a half before the slate also. But people, re- we had Hardaway and Richardson and Brunson mega-owned. So, like, from my experience, I look at that and I go, well, Beal's out. West Westbrook's going to be the payup option, yeah. right? He's been, like he's going to be payup, and, and and he turned out he still was. It was just flatter. I just thought that it would be like fifty. Per, but those, but to me, we're talking about the situations where we're not talking about the outcomes. Yeah, Russell Westbrook put up eighty points that night on DraftKings, but even if he put up thirty-five points, I still look. I don't. I'm not looking at the results. I'm looking at. Had I known he was only going to be 32 to 35% owned, would I have played more of him? Would I, should I, what would I have done? Yeah. Is it going to be, is it different than what I did? If the answer is yes, then that's how you should be judging it versus had I, had I known this and all the stuff is based on, I did everything based on if I would have known. So what, what, what decision am I, if I lost, I, what decisions would I have changed? I made the decisions based on the information that I suspected my projections for the players and my ownership and for the, the strength of the contest and the line of constructions that you made. And you go, I wouldn't have changed. I wouldn't have changed a thing. Had I known all this information other than the results, I, that's what I want to change. James, how do we change the results? Uh, have you seen the, the show WandaVision? No, I haven't seen it, but is it going back in time or something? I think so. I haven't seen it either. Okay. <laughs> so, make sure I, don't I don't know. I don't watch TV. Um, yeah, I, I wish that we could change results. I, I think that the best thing that we can do, and it's why we talk about those three levers 
that, that you mention all the time and why I focus so much on leverage is that ownership projections, I, I think are the thing that matter the most now. Would you agree with that in GPPs? Do you think that ownership matters more than projections right now? Uh, I think, I, well, pre- I think a better way of putting it is project. I always say pre- player projections are the starting point. Yeah. I think they're, they're, you, you, that they're a must have. But the differences in, in from if either, if you're signing up for Roto-Grinders Premium, which is $10 off, click on the link in the description to get that. Uh, the differences of projections around the industry are not going to be that dramatic. And they're not going to be that dramatic even if you build your own proprietary model. Mm-hmm. So like, especially in basketball. So you may be 1% off here and 2% off there on some player projections, but it's not, not going to be that dramatic. I still, you need that. I still, you need that. But the edge you get from having projections is not, it is, to me, there's not really much edge, especially over the course of a season, maybe a 10 year sample size. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that it's, you're going to be, it's, it's, it's more difficult to project ownership. Like your, 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 your R for, for your player projections is going to be much better than your ownership projections. Like mm-hmm. ownership, ownership projections are hard to do, especially in NBA, especially with the late news and stuff. Like it's very hard. To, I think it's probably easier on, on FanDuel than it is on DraftKings. Because of multiple positional eligibility, you can just play whoever you want. Yeah, you can play anybody at any position on draft. Right, that's hard. Uh, but that's why, to me, having the most accurate ownership projections is more useful in GPP than the player projections. Because you have to assume that a lot of the field you're you're playing against people that are we have similar projections. Like we're not going to oh Ke- oh Kevin Porter was not even on my rate. I mean, like you're, you're not going to get that. It just comes down to, are you fading him in this specific lineup or not? Are you gaining leverage? How much leverage are you gaining? Mm-hmm. How much relative value is, is worth it in your lineup? But if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're taking, if you're saying Kevin Porter, I think he's going to be 30% owned and he ends up being 70% owned. Like that's going to dramatically affect the calculations you make of leverage in your lineups. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you're going to, Oh, I think Russell Westbrook's going to be 60% owned. And he ends up being 30% owned. Oh, I think, I think so-and-so is going to be 16% owned. He ends up being 2% owned. Like now all of your, now you look at your lineups and you go, oh, I played some lineups that don't have enough leverage. Or I played some lineups that have ridiculously too much for no apparent reason. Uh, but that's all b- based around the ownership projections and not the player projections. Mm-hmm. So I, but even if you're not doing the ownership projections in some type of mathematical method, I, I, I look at ownership projections. We have them at Roto-Grinders. Jamino does them. The hamster wheel is always going. I still, when it comes to the late news, especially, I look at them. Sometimes he'll rerun them. And I, from my intuitive, we talk about the difference between intuitive models and analytical models. I've been playing DFS long enough. And also the specific contests that I'm in, whether it be higher stakes, single entry, lower stakes, large field. Those are the two that, you know, more recently, the small field stuff is the stuff I've been focusing on, but I've been playing the large fields long enough that like, I can look, I can look at an, at our own RG ownership projections where some guys like Jamino hasn't projected for 22% owned. And I immediately look at that and go, Nope, he's going to be like 35. Like, I just like, I, I know it's like, I know mathematically that's probably what he should be owned. 
but I know, I just know human beings better. I just know, I just know how people are going to react. They're going to, they're going to pay up here. They're going to do this. And this guy's going to be 50% more owned instead of 22 will be 35. And then I have to take that into account, go, if he's going to be 35, how does that affect other people? Because if he's going to be fit into point guard spot, that means other point guards, you're going to look, you know, at, at, at you're going to look in uh, and see that, you know, Oh, we're projecting Trey Young at 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 twelve percent owned, and I go, no, he's going to be twenty eight percent owned because you know uh, we Capella's out and whatever, and the, and then I look and I go, uh, well, what other point guards are on the slate? It's like, well, Chris Paul ain't ain't going to be ten percent owned, like he's going to be two percent owned, like it's just going to be because people are going to play Trey Young. People, it's going to naturally cause point guard ownership to move like that. But if you're not taking that into account when you're building lineups, you're using numbers based on a mathematical algorithm, which is going to be more, if we plotted this over the course of the season, it's going to be more right than you doing it in your head throughout the whole way. But there are specific situations that you have to look at and go, no, that no, this guy's going to be more owned. Like people, or, or people are going to look at the low ownership and then go, no, they're going to play more of him because they think he's going to be low owned. And then they end up being higher. owned. Well, and, and that's, you have said it before, and this is something that I echo all the time. You're really only making decisions on a couple of players on a slate. Like when, when you are looking at ownership projections, I, I, I recently built an NHL ownership model because like, I didn't like the way that my solution was working out. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to build my own ownership projection model. And my goal, and I said in the discord was like, I only want to be close on the guys that are going to be high owned. Because these guys who are projected like 10, 15% owned, like anything below that doesn't matter. I, I'm not making decisions on, on these guys who are going to be 10, 15% owned the vast majority of the time. I'm going to be making decisions on the guys that are going to be 30%, 40% owned because that's where I'm going to make a decision of playing them and then knowing that I am going to need to be somewhat different elsewhere or fading them and knowing that I can play basically whatever I want because of the relative value that I've gained from fading a 35% owned player. So when you use your intuitive model to say, oh, well, Trey Young, he's going to be 35% owned. Like it it says 12%, but he's going to be 35% owned. You are now making a decision based on Trey Young because he's going to be 35% owned. Like you, you just well, like, that's what you, I think he could end up being 26% owned. Like but, it's but, the arbitrary but I'm making the decision based on that. Yeah. But the arbitrary stuff of like 26, 30, 34, whatever, like that range, who cares? You're, you're just making a decision knowing that he is going to be relatively high owned in comparison to the other point guards or the other guards on that slate. And you're making that decision and then you can move on. And maybe there's one more decision that you have to make. Maybe there's like a very cheap value play, like Chris Paul gets ruled out or something and, or no, not Chris Paul, let's, let's somebody else. Whatever, some expensive what guard campaign, right? Chris Paul's out, and everyone we're yeah. all playing Cameron Payne at three yeah, K tonight. Yeah. And and so oh. then, like, you, you've made your decision on Trey Young, who you know is going to be relatively high owned, and then you make your decision on Campaign, who you know is going to be relatively high owned, and then like after you've made those decisions, just build the best line if you can. Mm-hmm. Like, what what else do you really need? You can't really do anything else. Like, you have the projections. You've made your decision on your two like important spots on the slate. And then you just build the best lineup that you can or the best lineups that you can. And, and maybe if you have multiple lineups, you make a decision on trying to match the field or go over the field or whatever. But like you're not making decisions based on the ownership of every player on the slate. You're making decisions based on a couple of players that are going to be polarizing based on the slate itself. 
Right. The the difference, which 12%, if I have five 12% on guys and I go, I can only play one, which one? <laughs> Whoever. Whichever okay. one, roll a die. I mean, <laughs> at that point, typically they're all projected about the same. They all have about the same smash percentage. Like, unless you can predict the future, unless you know the future, you don't know between between them. And if, hey, and if you're building five lineups, play one in each. Right. You, you could do that. I mean, but those to me, those are the decisions that you shouldn't be spending much time on. It's not a decision that doesn't matter. It probably does, but it matters this much versus do I play high high owned guys, low owned value play? You know, the, 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 the real pivotal players that are on the slate, those are the ones that you should spend. Those are the most pivotal decisions. So you should be spending the most amount of time. Am I if I'm building 20 lineups, how many am I building without high owned stud? How many am I building without high owned cheap value play? How many am I building with both and then trying to get completely different elsewhere? Right? Because now you're playing two chalk pieces together. Like to me, that's that's what you should be spending more of your time on than picking out the six percent owned guy that's gonna go off. Because put put all 10 guys' names in a hat and throw it in the air and like. Those decisions that that's play whoever you want. Hey, if you want to, if you want to choose out of those ten guys, the guy that recently got a haircut, and you're like, okay, whoever recently got a haircut, that's who I'm choosing. It's going to be just at. It's going to be. Just, to, but you have to fade the haircuts because every barber has COVID. Oh, every okay. single barber has COVID. <laughs> How but you many instances have we had of somebody getting a haircut and then instantly going into contact tracing? don't get haircuts fade the haircuts man if somebody just got a haircut they're gonna get scratched you cannot play them yeah but you get what i'm saying like when your decision-based method doesn't matter it's randomly it 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 doesn't beat a random choice so if you want to if you want to go by narrative go by at that point it's 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 play wherever you want i mean that's that's exactly what i mean by play wherever you want and when the differences between eight players are marginal feel free to just play make up a reason Pick it randomly or just say you like, I, I have a feeling. Well, that's going to be just as accurate as not having a feeling. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yesterday, like, make a decision between Robert Covington and Marcus Smart. That The same price on DraftKings, both projected for 31. Actually, Robert Covington, uh, 32.64. Marcus Smart, 31.85. Oh, and Thaddeus Young is right there at 31.59. Oh, and Ricky Rubia, like, whatever dude just just like they all project the same they're all going to be like 10 or less owned just whichever one makes the best lineup just choose the one that makes the best line right and you can make better lineups learn about lineups not players in the theory of daily fantasy sports how to think like a professional dfs player it's by me and james mccool right here 15 hour audio masterclass teaches you all about the game theory of dfs chapters on game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, psychology. The chapter with a whole bunch of miscellaneous stuff. It's me and James in your pocket on your iPhone. And you could you could download it. You could listen to it anytime you want. Uh, it, it, it applies to every sport. It's not just NBA. So this is, you could, as long as you know the, the game theory concepts of DFS, you could play any sport well. So pick it up. 15-hour audio masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. And James, people can follow you at paydirt underscore DFS. That's right. 
Yep, Pater underscore DFS. Um, I have a giveaway that I'm doing for subscribers right now to the site. Um, it is $30 to subscribe to the site, and I'm giving away a signed Giannis Antetokounmpo jersey. Um, that ends today. So even if you think I suck, you can buy a $30 lotto, lotto ticket today, a little raffle uh, to get a Giannis jersey. So um, do You're not that. giving away top shots? I thought you'd be giving away top shots. That I I have a Top Shot account, but the thing is, like, I can never actually log into the site because their site sucks. Um, anyway, I'm giving away a Giannis jersey. It's signed. So come get a sub to the site. Check out the models, everything like that. And uh, for sure, go by Theory DFS because baseball is right around the corner. And I, I think that there is probably no individual sport where you can employ theory more than MLB. Right. But you could, I, I think baseball, you could possibly know nothing about the sport and win GPPs. We talked about it last week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't wait. Vomit stacks. I'm, I'm getting sick. I'm getting sick of the NBA. This oh, dude. Yeah. Awful. If you're not sick of the NBA at this point, like you're some masochistic person. I, right. I don't know anybody who is like happy about building NBA lineups at this point. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm dreading it. And I dread yeah. it every night. Every single night. I, 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 lo- I look on the, I look on the times. And the more times that are bunched together, the more that I want to play. But when I see it's like 7, 7, 8, I'm like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> I wanna, I, I'd rather it be just give me five games at 7 and then three games at 10. And I feel like, okay, at least I have a two-hour period where I don't have to worry. I could like, okay, I could push off my decision-making until like 9.45 and then decide what to do. But none of this, like every – and then this guy's in and that and – who knows? Question every every damn day. Terrible. But that's that's Terrible. the grind. That's what we do here. Yeah. That's what I do here every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock here. Hit the thumbs up button on the way out. You kept the apple juice cold this morning. So we'll talk about uh, whatever happens on today's slate. We barely talk about today's slate, but uh, Mondays is kind of a, you know, whatever happens, happens, right? We talk to James, talk about some game theory, some strategy, uh, because it's more more of a teaching show. In the morning with me, Jordan Cooper, Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter. So I'll see you tomorrow for another edition of the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com.